Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Spotify. Spotify. We love Spotify. We love Spotify. You can get thousands of podcasts for free on Spotify, including Pod Save America, as well as a bunch more of the most popular news and politics shows. And also, great music. And it knows what music you like. The Discover list is great. Yeah. You're like, thank you, next. Great song. <laughs> uh, but go beyond the clickbait and the daily news shows, midweek roundtables, and weekly wrap-ups to find out what's going on. Listen to Spotify, open the app, tap search, type in your favorite show name, and get streaming. Download the free app today and start listening to podcasts on Spotify. Spotify is great. Just a little plug here. The synergy of sponsors is you can just blast it right over your Sonos speakers. Hmm. So you're in the shower. Which is what I do. You While listen you're cooking to Blue Apron. Michael Barbaro on like 2X because, you know, speed it up a little bit, bud. <laughs> But uh, it works great. <laughs> Speed it up a little bit, bud. Yeah. You go from room hey, to room bud. and change the Spotify on it's different amazing. speakers right from your phone. They also, Spotify redid their app. There's, I like the new design. It's really good. The new design is very... Yes. Spotify, it's the best. Listen to music. Listen to your podcast. Download the app. Did you miss me? This is Julissa Arce, Crooked contributor, author of Someone Like Me, as you know from all the amazing Crooked conversations that we recorded with Grace Para. If you haven't listened, you can go back and give it a listen. But today, I'm super excited to bring you this conversation with Nadia Akimoto, who is the author of Period Power, a manifesto for the menstrual movement. She founded an organization called Period when she was just 16 years old. And you are in for a treat. We are going to learn so much about the menstrual movement, which is something that I just really learned about and have become obsessed with uh, with the inequality that there is around accessing period products and how something as natural as our period keeps women and those who menstruate um, away from opportunities so I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation here it goes So, Nadia, ever since I met you at the Texas Teen Book Festival, I've become like obsessed with learning more about menstruation stigma and periods and how period equality or equity rather can really lead to gender equality. And I've, I've like devoured your book on every plane ride I've been on. Um, so oh my gosh. thank you for writing that. And, and frankly, like I had never thought about advocating for my period until I met yeah. you. Like, I, I, it hadn't even crossed my mind that that's something that I needed to do. Um, so I'm wondering, what was your impetus for start first starting your organization, period, that you started when you were, like, 16 years old? So, so periods were something that I had never really thought about either before. Um, I founded the organization when I was 16, uh, right after my family had experienced living without a home of our own ourselves. And during that time... 
My commute to school was about two hours long each way on public transportation, and where I would change buses was in Old Town, Portland, Oregon. Um, and at my bus stop, I would meet homeless women who were in much worse living situations than I was in at the time. And it was hearing their stories of using toilet paper, socks, brown paper grocery bags, and things like cardboard that really gave me the wake-up call of you know how fortunate I was um, to never have to worry about using like literal trash to take care of my period, but also realizing that I had never been around conversations about menstruation beyond my own period, right? And I think that it sort of sparked this interest in me um, as I became more aware of the stigma that persisted around menstruation in our society. Yeah. I mean, I, I really wish that I had your book when I was a young girl because there are so many misconceptions just even about what a period is, right? I think that because of the way that we're taught about periods in school and maybe not taught about periods in school or at the home, there are those misconceptions about what even happens to a girl during her period. So what are yeah. what are some of those like biggest misconceptions that you've had to uh, those myths that you've had to dispel? You know, I think that we hear a lot of myths on like what sort of period products that you can use, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's why when I wrote my book, um, I didn't want to only make it around the issue of the menstrual movement and access, but also just talking about what a period is, right? And so you'll see in my book, like the whole first chapter is just let's understand menstruation and, and understand what products there are. Um, because I think that there's a lot of myths of what period, what period products you can insert, what sort of cultural um, annotation that has about you as a personal human being. And so I think that there's a lot of myths around, you know, what what period products that you can use and how often you get your period and what your period tells you about your body. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, you know, growing up, like my mom, my mom really thought that if I were a tampon, that it that I would like lose my virginity to a tampon. Exactly. And I think that she was never really taught about tampons, right? And so she was just like afraid that I would use them. And so I ended up having to learn from like my classmates at school. And I'm pretty sure that for a long time, like not for a long time, but for a while I was like wearing a tampon wrong because yeah. my mom wouldn't let me, my mom wouldn't let me wear them. Have you heard yeah. of like people with like similar stories? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like the reason that I care so much about raising awareness and opening the conversation on tampon usage is that we hear a lot of stories or I get a lot of messages from girls who aren't aware of the time limitations of how long you keep a tampon in, right? Mm -hmm. And so they might not be able to afford an abundant amount of tampons and they're trying to like you know, lengthen the amount of time they use each one and they're not sure of like what the actual dangers are. Um, and so, you know, as you know, like if you use a tampon for too long, it does increase your chances of contracting TSS, um, toxic shock syndrome. And so a lot of what I wanted to do with my book is just raise awareness about what period products there are and how to safely use them. Yeah, because uh, well, when you said that, that's that's one of the reasons why I thought about this like funny story with my mom, but not all of, you know, not all of these myths are just like funny things that happen to us. Like some of them, when you combine harmful myths with atrocious policies, then like people get hurt, yeah. right? Like what, I, I, exactly. in your book, you talked about this woman, Lauren um, Waser, is that how you say her last name? Yeah. Um, and like she experienced TSS, like toxic shock syndrome. So one, can you tell us what is toxic shock syndrome? And then two, since the FDA doesn't require companies to disclose the ingredients that are used in pads and tampons, what are the other risks that, um, like what risks come from that? 
Absolutely. So toxic shock syndrome, yeah, it's a it's a potentially fatal um, infection that happens if you, you know, if you contract certain bacteria around uh, in your vagina. And it happens, you know, quite often when you leave a tampon in for too long. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, like some of the side effects can be um, infection spreading across the body and needing to amputate certain limbs. Um, and so it's something that should be taken rather seriously. Um, and Right now, there is no requirement for companies that produce tampons or pads to list the ingredients that are in them or like the contents of certain chemicals in them. Um, and so one of the th- things that is being pushed for are acts like the Robin Danielson Act that are all about trying to increase that, that transparency around period products. Um, but so a big part of my book is talking a lot about, you know, what period products are out there, how to safely use them, but also know about other products like the menstrual cup and cloth pads and um, other products that can be used that decrease the chances of TSS as well. Yeah, so the, the Robinson Robin Danielson Act that you mentioned, it's been defeated like 10 times in Congress, yeah. right? So what is being done from a policy standpoint to create more transparency so that we know what is going into our bodies and that we can be um, we can be more knowledgeable about the risks that are associated with it? So if, if this hasn't passed 10 times, are there other policies that uh, that are being introduced or, or that we can help support so that we're we're safer? I think that, you know, the Robin Danielson Act is one of the leading pieces of legislation that you can support in terms of transparency of product. Um, but I think that one of the real, real, really big reasons that it hasn't passed successfully is that we still are looking to expand the amount of people who are advocating for it publicly and trying to change public opinion so people care about this, right? Um, like, it is very, you know, still surprising to me the number of people that aren't even aware that ingredients aren't listed on boxes um, because this might be something that they might not think about right and so I think that a big part is like knowing that it is your right to use products that are being transparent about what's what contents are in it um, and to publicly talk and try to raise awareness about the need for legislation like this Um, I mean we're at a sort of pivotal pivotal time in the menstrual movement where there is a lot of legislation around periods and unfortunately periods are still very political so when you look at what legislation is being pushed forward there's legislation at all levels when it comes to menstruation at the local level for getting period products in school restrooms and shelters at the state level to try to repeal the tampon tax that still Mm -hmm. exists in 36 states and at the federal level for getting legislation like the Robin Danielson Act um, but also uh, legislation about getting you know programs like food stamps to acknowledge period products as a necessity as well. Yeah, I learned about many of these things that you're talking about like for the first time when I read your book. And I think that you're right. Like, first of all, we need to create awareness that these things are happening and, and what legislatures there are at every level of government to that we can support. And ultimately, a lot of these things are happening at the state and local level, right? Because even if at the federal level, this Robin Danielson Act has been defeated 10 times, you mentioned that like many other issues, progress sometimes is made at the very beginning in state and yeah. local government. So I know that in some in some states, there's been an effort to repeal, like you said, the tampon tax. And just even the fact that we ha- that tampons are considered a luxury product is still boggles my mind that we pay exactly. a luxury tax when you have products like Viagra that are considered Rogan. essential. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that a big, I mean, and those that, those pieces of legislation are hard to push forward as well. I mean, Jerry Brown, the governor of California, has also turned it down multiple times. And part of the reason for that is because one of the reasonings for why we need the tampon tax is that if we repeal it, you have to increase the tax on the consumption of alcohol, right? And I think that to me, I'm like, okay, yes, uh, you know, more than half of the population feeling clean, confident, capable 100% of the time is definitely more of a necessity. But people aren't talking about periods and the need to end period poverty as much as they should be and I think that what we really need to do is change public opinion so that we have people in large masses talking out about the fact that tampons and pads should not be considered a necessity and we need to be able to they have sh- they those should conversations be considered so that a necessity right that they should be considered. yes yes they should be considered a necessity <laughs> and they should not be considered a luxury and I think that we need to be able to raise awareness about that and have those conversations so that we're not battling around arguments like alcohol being more of a necessity if that makes sense yeah i mean it also kind of it also just kind of kills me when people are like well uh we have to keep charging you a ridiculous tax on this essential product but in the meantime we're also going to give like tax cuts to very rich people who can probably afford to pay for tampons where there is a large portion of americans that that cannot because these are expensive products and not everyone has access to them right and so one of the one of the other like policy policies that you talked about in your in your book were policies in New York and in Dade County Wisconsin and others that have passed laws that make period products accessible at public schools shelters and correctional facilities so can you tell us more about those wins and why they are important of course. So yeah, uh, th- those are examples of legislation that were happen that happened at the local level that were all about getting period products to be free and accessible in school restrooms, grades six through twelve. Um, the New York City legislation bill package was actually really monumental because it went even further than that to get period products to be more readily available at shelters, um, city buildings, but also um, prisons as well. Um, but, you know, the overall push for getting period products in school restrooms is a really important one because period related pain is still a leading cause of absenteeism for girls in school in the U.S. more than the common cold. Right. Mm-hmm. And the number of, uh, you know, students primarily who identifies women, um, or young girls um, having to miss class because they, you know, are worried about bleeding through their clothes or don't have access to period products or, you know, might might have to miss minutes in class because they have to go seek one out at like the nurse's office or the principal's office and then have to get over the fear of, you know, asking a school authority right, for a period product when you add, can be when nerve-wracking. you add that stigma of like, it's already yeah. like scary to have your period, especially when you like just got your period in school, you're like terrified. So then to have to like exactly. ask someone at the principal's yeah, office where everyone's going to see someone handing you a tampon, that's like really scary for a young girl. Exactly. And so I think that, um, you know, this the the issue of needing period products in school uh, is not only an issue of ending period poverty, but and uh, making sure that everyone is, uh, you know, competing at the same level, regardless of menstruation, um, but also a matter of the stigma, right, that people should be able to just go to the restroom um, and treat period products as much of a necessity as toilet paper, right? Um, And so trying to push at the local level for period products to be free and accessible, um, not kept away by, you know, a quarter because no teens really carry around quarters. Right. Um, But, you know, and they shouldn't 
be charged for it either um, but trying to make them readily available in all restrooms um, starting with all girls restrooms but also going into unisex restrooms and even boys restrooms acknowledging that it's not only women who menstruate but also people who might identify as transgender and Mm non-binary yeah that's so important Crooked Conversations is brought to you by the film The Front Runner. It is from Oscar-nominated director Jason Reitman, who brought us Thank You for Smoking, Juno, and Up in the Air. The Front Runner is like many things we cover in Crooked Conversations, a largely unknown story that had a massive impact on our world. Hugh Jackman, who's great at singing and pretty ripped, plays Gary Hart, the charismatic politician and overwhelming frontrunner for the 1988 presidential election. Senator Hart led George H.W. Bush in the polls by 13 points. Everyone was certain he would win. And then the world as we know it changed. And the private scandal became front page headlines for the first time because there may or may not have been some monkey business. Read the book and you'll get that. Mm. The front runner is about a turning point in American history when privacy ended. And we as a country decided we have the right to know. Written by Matt By and Jay Carson, two people who we know well, great political journalist, great spokesperson turned screenwriter. Uh, it is a scandal and a story that started it all. And it's really, really fascinating. I can't wait to see the movie. You guys want to go to the IPIC? And, uh, do you think it's in the IPIC? Ooh, let's do that. I know we only, I only see movies in the IPIC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get some deep fried uh, recliner. Whatever. I, I want to recline. Uh, buffalo spring rolls. Yeah. Buffalo spring rolls. Is there anything more delicious? Like, what is that food exactly? It's like, oh, it brings the best of the East and the best of Buffalo and puts like them you're together. Looking, you're looking down your nose in that when Deep you are a it. Cheesecake Factory Outback Steakhouse aficionado. Um, I've been in the Cheesecake Factory twice in the past week because it was my post-election binge. The point is, democracy isn't a spectator sport. Get involved and get your tickets to see the front runner. Text front runner to 26797. Messages and data rates may apply. Call my fridge. There's uh, three slices of Domino's in there because I ate five for dinner. <laughs> Crooked Conversations is also brought to you by Policy Genius. Life insurance isn't the most enjoyable thing to think about. Most people don't like thinking about dying. But actually, having life insurance is a really good feeling. It's nice to know that if anything happens to you, your family won't have to start a GoFundMe to stay afloat. Thanks. Policy Genius is an easy way to get life insurance online. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find the best policy for you. And when you compare quotes, you save money. It is that simple. That simple, Tommy. That's it. That's Policy Genius do. has helped over 4 million with an M people shop for insurance and place over $20 billion with a B dollars in coverage. They Some of those people have died. They don't just make life insurance easy. They also compare disability insurance. Which is how you insurance. get your money's worth on life insurance. Home insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. That's a good tagline. So if you've been avoiding getting life insurance because it's difficult or confusing, give Policy Genius a try. Just go to policygenius.com, get your quotes, apply in minutes. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. I have a slogan for them, ready? What is it? Uh, Policy Genius, get life insurance or die trying? Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. (laughs) Oh, that's better. One of the other parts where I think it's really important to have access to period products, yes, in schools, but also, and you, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the reason you wanted to start this organization, period, is because you saw how many homeless women didn't have access to period products. And so just making them accessible at shelters also. I know you mentioned something like there are so many people that when they donate essential items to shelters, homeless shelters, they don't often think about 
pads and and tampons as something that is essential, but is something that is very needed for homeless menstruators. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's something that um, I really just wanted people to know in reading this book is that like just try to empathize with the experience of if you got your period unexpectedly and did not have access to period products, did not have access to like a new pair of underwear or a new pair, uh, like access to a shower and like trying to be able to empathize that with that and realizing that like the experience of menstruation doesn't go away just because you can't afford period products. Right. Yeah. And the the other the other area um, where you talked about and it really kind of made me think a lot was having access to period products in prisons and in correctional facilities. Um, and I remember watching Orange is the New Black, like an episode about yeah. uh, about not having enough pads and and really how access to period products creates, really exacerbates this, this sort of like power dynamic between the guards and the people who are detained. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so, I mean, there's actually been a number of uh, ACLU cases in the last few years that are all about this, right? The fact that um, with the lack of access um, or lack of, you know, even available quantity of pads, um in uh, correctional facilities, um, they sort of become tokens and bargaining chips of power between, uh, you know, authorities and then inmates as well, right? And so there's a number of cases where, um, you know, guards are withholding pads um, and, you know, needing inmates to prove that they have used all the pads for mm. the right reasons, right? Um, or withholding them as sort of punishment, Um I mean, oftentimes, like, there are, you know, there are a number of correctional facilities that only distribute around three pads to, to each inmate per week, which is, like, mm. by far not enough for anyone, right, to survive on. And I think that uh, a big part of this work is just saying that these should be more available. They should be more available, like, toilet paper, and it's not be something that should be expensive and um, held away at the commissary or um, not even available at the commissary. Um, I mean, it's... It's 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 crazy the issue of periods in prisons. I mean, even to the point of like two months ago, there was legislation that was passed in Virginia um, where tampons and pads were banned from being worn into a correctional facility by visitors because they were at such a high risk for contraband, right? And that legislation was only a few months ago. Granted, it was repealed like within a few days because people were pissed. Yeah. But I mean. Like for the fact that like it's 2018 and that sort of legislation is being passed because tampons are at a risk for being contraband is like is is something that I think is very concerning. Yeah. I mean, that's why that's why laws like what has passed in New York State and in New York City and in Dade County in Wisconsin are so important. Right. Because they I, I think one of the things that I'm that I'm realizing in this conversation is just how much women and others who have periods how much we're robbed of our dignity when we don't have access to a period product i mean i can't imagine exactly. like just bleeding and not being able to feel clean and not being able to take care of that very basic need and especially when someone else is sort of like dangling around these products uh as a way to have power over me yeah and i think that like that's a huge um 
that's a huge issue of period poverty in general is like that the fact that when it happens it's pushing you know menstruators to have to choose between um their basic needs right like we talk to a lot of homeless menstruators who literally regularly have to make the decision of do i eat today or do i feel clean today while i'm on my period right um and it is something that holds people back from discovering and reaching their full potential because if they don't have access they um might not feel more capable enough to go to job interviews or try getting out of their situation and um, sometimes it even goes to the point of having to alter their, you know, daily routine and needing to like sit in one place and wait out their period and be near a public restroom so that they can take care of it in any way that they can. Um, and so I think that like our work really stems from the fundamental human belief that it is a human right to be able to discover and reach your full potential regardless of a natural need. And we think that this work is not just about periods, but it's really about this overall overall fight for gender equality. Because when mm-hmm. you look at how what we need to do to achieve gender equality, it comes down to you know four buckets of equal opportunity and access to education and healthcare and decision making and politics um, and economic mobility. And periods significantly hold uh, women, girls, and menstruators back in all four of those categories. Mm-hmm. And so we really do believe that addressing periods and talking about menstruation and breaking the stigma is sort of a necessary key to achieving global development and gender equality and that's why I think I'm so passionate about this menstrual movement and why I think other people need to be joining as well yeah and I, I love this part in your book when you tell the story that when President Obama was asked like why the tampon luxury tax existed and he said well probably because men passed them and yeah and you make this very interesting point that quote the dearth of women in public office is linked to menstruation can you tell us more about that because I found that just very like enlightening when you talk about you know when boys hit puberty they get deeper voices and like get more confidence and like girls we get our period Exactly. So, I mean, I think like I I, I loved writing that chapter just because I think it was really eye opening for me as well. Um, but I think that, you know, you there's all these incredible studies about why more men run for office than women. Right. And sort of, you know, these connotations of if a man looks in the mirror and he thinks unqu- he's unqualified, he will still go for the job or he will still mm-hmm. run for office. Right. Versus a woman might look in the mirror and think she's unqualified and she won't run for office or she won't go for a certain um, higher job. And I think that it really comes from like the social connotations around puberty between of boys versus girls, right? When a boy hits puberty, his voice deepens, he gets stronger, he gets facial hair, the whole world is looking at him and saying, you're a man now, like own your responsibility, own your power, claim your power, you are strong, you're becoming a man, right? Versus a girl hits puberty and her boobs come in and like they might, they might make her a little bit more insecure about her body. She gets her period and suddenly there's more anxiety around you know, around, um, you know, going about your day or feeling more capable. Um, And historically, when you got your period, it was suddenly when you could not go to school anymore or you suddenly are preparing to be a wife and a mother. And unfortunately, that is the case in many places in the world still today, right? So this kind of like idea of when you hit puberty at this critical age of 13, boys are sort of built up in their egos and their confidence and girls are sort of becoming more anxious about their self-worth and their confidence um, on the other hand, right? And so I think that when we live in a world that perpetuates those distinctions are we really surprised that we look at you know politics and we see like even here in US government our 80% of our congressional positions are held by men um, and while we're getting better at pushing women into public office it's still something that we're actively fighting for in terms of looking at um, potential women candidates and saying you are good enough and you deserve a seat at the table and you need to claim that political power yeah I love that 
Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Vice News's El Chapo podcast. In November, the trial of the century will take place in a courtroom in Brooklyn. <laughs> go on, Chapo. Go on, El Chapo. <laughs> <laughs> the world's most infamous drug kingpin, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, head of the Sinaloa cartel, will face justice in a case three decades in the making. But this case is about more than just Chapo. It's about the entire war on drugs and the countless lives it has impacted on both sides of the border. To tell the final chapter in the legend of El Chapo, Vice News is launching a new podcast, Chapo, Kingpin on Trial, with versions in English and Spanish. Over the course of eight episodes, starting on November 1st, Vice News will journey across Mexico and the U.S. to meet people affected by Chapo and the drug war. Together with Miguel Angel Vega, a top narco journalist in Mexico, we'll meet heroin traffickers, cartel hitmen, and we'll visit Chapo's hometown to interview members of his family. Whoa, cool. We'll visit with the DEA agent who captured Chapo, the lawyers who are defending him in court, and we'll speak to former Mexican President Felipe Calderon, whose decision to deploy the military to fight the cartels escalated the country's drug war with deadly consequences. We'll hear from families shattered by violence, ordinary citizens caught between drug cartels and the Mexican military. Explore the myths that surround El Chapo, including his prison escapes and his ill-fated encounters with actors Kate Del Castillo and Sean Penn. Remember when that happened? Oh, man. That was weird. Listen to Chapo, Kingpin on Trial, for free, exclusively on Spotify in both English and Spanish. It sounds very cool. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Superdeck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. And you, you ran for office before. I did. <laughs> I ran for Cambridge City Council last year when I was a freshman at Harvard. That's amazing. And how did that how did it go? What did you learn from that? You know, honestly, like running for office is something I never planned to do like in my whole life. I never grew up being wanting to be a politician, but I found myself very passionate about, you know, local politics and specifically around housing affordability in Cambridge and the need for more students to be civically engaged, especially in a college town where there's like Harvard and MIT and Lesley College and, um, you know, really incredible uh, public schools in there as well. Um and so I ran for office, and to be honest, it was the most, like, you know, terrifying and exhausting, but also meaningful experiences of my life. Um, it was an experience where I was, like, going to school, running my organization, and canvassing six hours a day. I needed to know and have a stance on, like, every issue from, you know, the number of potholes on a certain street, mm-hmm. and the bike lanes, and the, the time slots that, like, the traffic lights were on, all the way to, like, housing affordability, and sustainable energy, and um, building zo- zo- zoning. And uh, so I think I learned a lot. It was so many meaningful to me and um, it's something that I don't regret at all and I think really inspired me to think of politics as very personal and think of how I can move forward over the next couple of years and do everything I can to turn more young people out at the polls. Yeah, that's amazing and I, I want to know how to get involved. So what, what, can, what can people do if they want to get involved in this menstrual movement? What are some of the actions that, that our listeners can, can take? So I think that the easiest way to get involved in the menstrual movement is just to start participating, right? Start you know, actively trying to break the stigma by starting conversations around, you know, why are we so afraid to talk about something so natural? Why does period poverty still exist? Why is menstruation and menstrual hygiene considered a luxury? And I think that 
starting those conversations is a huge first step and just contributing to breaking the stigma. But I also think it is, you know, thinking about the ways in your life that you can contribute to breaking period, the cycle of period poverty, right? Um, collecting and donating period products to your local shelter. If you are a student on campus and you want to get involved a little bit more, thinking about how you can um, start a chapter at your local campus and really bring the menstrual movement to your own local community. Um, and of course, always as a nonprofit, we're always looking to grow and build capacity. So if you want to give or donate to period as an organization, you can just do so at period.org. Great. And I will just plug in that if you want to learn more about periods, about the menstrual stigma and how to combat it, how to avoid it, and just even from like where it began, like some of the some of the things that I found most interesting in Period Power, the title of your book, was even going back to like the beginning of when period products started emerging and how companies uh, were both doing a good thing because there were new products that women could use as we were entering the workforce, but also kind of did a really terrible thing in the way that they presented periods and like this pamphlets that yeah. they made that were so like harmful and in some ways were to this day, like many, many decades later, having to combat some of the stigmas that this very pamphlets created. Of course, yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, I'm honestly just really excited for the pure, the book Period Power to be out there because I think that this is a book that I've been thinking about for a while in, just terms of, in terms of like how can I just create a manifesto so everyone can read it and just know everything about periods and this movement and how to get involved. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And please go out and get Nadia's book, Period Power. Uh, you are going to learn so much. You're going to laugh a little. You're going to cry a little. But most of all, I think we're all going to be so inspired to get involved and to see the connections that something as natural as our period can lead us to really have more gender equality in this country and around the world. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's Cricket Conversation. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, to leave us a review, to follow us on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Julissa Arce. And since it's been a few weeks since I've reminded you to buy my book, go buy my book, Someone Like Me. And see you next time. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Can I be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers? ba ba ba